HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kara Warren. And on today's episode, we have Shauna Davis, an award-winning cheesemaker, chef, culinary educator, and buttermonger. Based in Sonoma, California, her catering company, Epicurean Connection, offers cheese education and butter classes. Shauna, welcome to the show. Thank you for hosting me today, all the way from Sonoma, California. Yes, I love it. I I love that um, recording virtually, online. We are allowed to get guests from all over the country. So this is truly a treat. I'm very excited to chat with you today. Um, I want to bring up right away because I, I got to read your awesome book about butter mongering and butter compound butters. Um, I, what, what is a, who is a butter monger exactly? So a butter monger is someone who makes cheese, makes butter and also makes compound butter. So they flavor it with and technically in, in the in the past, it was by the season. So whatever was growing in the season became a compound butter. And if you oh, go wow. back to La Russe and all the historical cooking companies and old chefs, they always had a compound butter. Whatever dish they served, seafood, meat, cheese, they always had a butter compound. And where did this derive from? Because it sounds like there was a history. Is there a certain country? Is there a certain place in Europe? I'm guessing that this came from. Definitely came from France, where they had a copious amount of beautiful butters, and which is high in protein, high in fat. And in order for the chefs to be able to preserve it, they would flavor it and then save it to serve at a later date. And so the French were definitely ahead of making compound butters to serve at their restaurants or for their private estates, or at that time, castles. So it's really fascinating when you look into the history of compound butters. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to kind of break down certain flavors later in the episode and, and, and learn a little bit more about the technique of making compound butter. But I'd like to, to take a little bit of a back step, step and sort of figure out, like, where did your interest in butter start? Because I, I like the story. What I read in your book, The Buttermonger, you had such a cool story about when you first started liking butter. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So 
in Sonoma Valley, where I've grown up in Sonoma, California, and in our high school, you have the opportunity to take a mentor or a work work education job. So I took a job with MFK Fisher, the author, Mary Francis, and she would have me work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays so that she could host her hospitality events on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And if I knew then what I know now, I would have stayed Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but (laughs) she would have me go harvest the herbs. We would make the butter and then we would plate it in ramekins or form it into logs or form it into cubes. And the butters were all very distinct in how she wanted to serve them per evening, per dish, per meal. And so that's how I really learned how to make a chive butter, a lemon butter. And we would go out and pick the Meyer lemons. We would pick the chives from the field. And so I feel really lucky that even though at 14, I wasn't really aware of what I was learning, but now at 54, I'm so glad that's what I learned. Yeah, what an inspiration and a mentor to have. MFA Fisher is uh, one of my favorite food authors. And uh, I like that you were able to call her Miss Mary Frances. That is um, really (laughs) adorable. Um, What is some of the best advice she's ever given to you? She said always, taste your food and enjoy. And she said, even if you don't like it, enjoy what you made, whether you like it or not. And I so much appreciate that because even in the catering now, if I make a dish and it's like, meh, I don't really, it's not my favorite, but I can hear her saying like, but appreciate the work you put into your dish and now elevate it. How can you repair that? How can you fix that? How can you add a component to it that would add to the flavor and complete the dish? So I was going to ask you about that. She taught, food presentation was important to her and, and she studied a lot of, I believe she had a lot of history in France as well. Is this all relating to she sort of did that thing like Julia Child where she learned so much from the French, right? And then she sort of brought it back here. Is that what she did at her parties and in her food presentation? Absolutely. And of course, keeping in mind, please, Kara, that I was 14. So what I knew then is not what I know now. And she would have me making bouquet garnies, like going out and harvesting the herbs, tying them together. Or she would have me make a three-to-one, which was her vodka drink. And I learned all kinds of skills of mirepoix, how to make a bouquet garni, how to slice meats, how to poach salmon. And if I knew then what I know now, it was an amazing education to learn from her. Yeah, no, well, I mean, I, lo- I just love that you've had that history with her. Um, and then you mentioned she taught you about the compound butters. Um, can you remind me again, what was the flavor that she was most into? Was it like a maitre d' hotel-like version or was it something else? What, what, it was what, the maitre d' hotel that she learned in France, which was tarragon-based with lemon. And that became her base of her fish dishes, her scallops. And then the second one, once she learned about the Meyer lemons from Luther Burbank, he brought in Meyer lemons. Meyer lemon became her favorite flavor at that time. When I was cooking, we just had copious amounts of Meyer lemon to prepare dishes for her weekend entertainment. And and again, I look back and I wonder who attended those parties and I see the pictures. And I had the honor of recurating her home as it had been sitting empty for many years. And we created the first meal at last house and we served compound butters over scallops, shrimp. And it was very reminiscent of cooking for MFK. Oh my goodness. Delicious. Amazing. I love it. Um, so this kind of gave you the advantage to culinary school. I'd imagine get having this, this sort of internship, it gave you this perspective before. Um, I wonder then, can you tell us once you were in culinary school uh, where you did like for the ratio of butter to flavor, 
did you learn more at culinary school or did you have that from MFK Fisher? What, what is like the best ratio, I guess is what I'm looking for when it comes to making a great compound butter of the, of the butter to flavor ratio. I'm going to say the compound butters came from MFK Fisher and the second mentor that I had in Sonoma, which I feel very blessed was Igvela of Vela cheese, Ignacio Vela. And he too taught me how to make butter and he taught me how to make cheese. And he was always talking to me about influential and not like influencers now, but influential butters for menus during his era. So I learned how to make compound butters and he would say, look around, what do you see? How can you flavor your butter? So not only did I go from MFK, Miss Mary Francis to me, but I went to Igvela, Mr. Vela to me. And he would be like, go out and pick an herb and we'll make a butter. Oh, that's awesome. So you were, you also have made butter fresh from milk, um, with Mr. Vela, as you say, um, are, yes. are you still making uh, butter on your own today as well as a buttermonger? Yes, we have a butter bar at our cheese shop here in Sonoma. And we serve five butters a week, whether it's cow, goat, or sheep milk based. And the flavors vary per week with the season. And they based, they're based on what the farmers bring to us through our door. And we work with all local farmers. We just received the Slow Food Award based on that we use local milk and local spices for our butters and cheese. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Um, so in terms of making butter, do you feel, is one milk type easier than another? I like working with the cow, but it's really fascinating to work with goat. And I love working with the sheep milk. And I've just recently been introduced to water buffalo milk and yak milk. So I'm definitely always in my kitchen early in the morning playing with butters. And those are usually what my family eats at home. They're not necessarily what I sell to start until I've mastered the recipe itself. Got it. Got it. And um, in terms of best-selling flavor um, at Epicurean Connection, what what is the best flavor for you? Uh, the best flavor is the Meyer lemon, which is a locally grown lemon from Luther Burbank, who was a horticulturist, viticulturist, and really built, if you've ever eaten Napa cabbage or you've had Meyer lemons, he was the founder of those products based in Sonoma County. But I have to say, working with a French butter with the high cream and the high fat, it really creates a beautiful, smooth texture of a butter. And so today, this morning, I made a Meyer lemon curd and mixed it with a French butter and 84% fat. And it was like, it was like silky velvet texture with a hint of lemon and minimal sugar. And it's like, you wanted to have a croissant, you wanted to have a scone, you would like a glass of champagne. Ooh, very nice. So do you feel that French butters are easier to make, comp- like they work better for compound butters? Is that is that generally what is the case? I would say the French butters, based on the consistency of high cream and high butter fat, they're easier to cook with. We have a couple American producers that are doing that, but the French consistently provide from the canal chose to the Alps. They offer us these consistent high fat butters that really are easy to cook with and a pleasure to work with. And they yeah. create silky texture. And I mean, to know that you're going to get a minimum of 80% fat and, or butter solids is amazing, but the average is 82%. Right. Right. And also I, I feel like for a price point, like when you're buying butter, um, it also comes in a lot less. I know even though it's coming from Europe, sometimes I feel like it is less expensive to buy a French butter than to buy a local butter, which is, is, is I know it's insane, but, um, 
Uh, is that the, do you feel that's the case on California? I'm talking about the East Coast perspective. No, I totally agree with you. And it's ridiculous to think that, if, and I love it because I end up buying them a French butter at my local marketplace versus a local butter because the price point is good. And I tend to buy up and freeze. And when I do buy French butter and I see a good deal, I freeze it and I put it in a Ziploc bag so that it doesn't acquire any freezer flavor. And I keep it in my freezer to then pull out and make butters for my chefs. You know, you beat me to the question on storing butter because I, I do feel like when a butter is too long, set too long in a refrigerator, it takes on that um, that fridge taste, right? So what is your, your best storage tips? You said freezing butter. And then in a normal refrigerated space, is there any also any other special um, things to know? Well, I have to say not everyone has just a butter and cheese fridge. So if you're at home and you have a home fridge, I would recommend when you buy the French butter and you keep it in the, if you're not going to work with it yet, put it in, in the cube in a Ziploc and seal it and then write the date and the brand of butter that you purchased. And there's all kinds of different French butters that you can find, but make sure you date it. And that way by sealing in a Ziploc, it doesn't absorb any of your freezer flavors for whatever else your family may have put in. Right. And then you're able to pull the butters out and work with them upon request when you're making a recipe. Right. And, and so you just think it's best to, to save it for the freezer. D- don't like hold it in the fridge too long ever. It's like maybe within a week you should use it or something like that. I would say two weeks when you keep it in, in the refrigerator. And, and keep in mind, our home refrigerators are not as clean as we think them are. So we, we want, I want to protect the butter and the essence of the butter flavors themselves. And so even if you put it in your refrigerator, I still recommend putting it in a Ziploc bag or a glass crock. And you look back in time, Karen, everybody had butter crocks. And, yeah. and that's why, because they wanted to preserve the flavor. They didn't want it to acquire your, your marinara sauce, or your, your beurre blanc, or anything that you cooked that you put in warm in your refrigerator. The butter with the proteins and the fat solids absorb all the flavors. So by sealing it and not allowing it to absorb any flavors, you have a pure, beautiful butter. Totally. No, I love that tip. I think it also applies to cheese as well. Um, I, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm like, you either have to use it or eat it right away because um, it, everything is porous. <laughs> it's alive. It's going to, yes. you know, it's going to take on those uh, nuances of whatever's in your fridge. So, um, you know, for better or worse, you, you got to protect the butter or the cheese that you have. Um, so I'd like to segue now to um, your best tips for making compound butters. Like in regards to the technique, uh, should the butter be uh, tempered like should it be room temp and and what equipment is the best for blending the butter because uh, I when I was reading your your book the buttermonger you you said you tried everything so I was curious what was the best way to go about making a compound butter I have tried everything from our girl scout days of shaking a jar to a ziploc to now I have gone to for my classes I use a food processor a cuisinart and you put in a quart of whipping cream and you blend it and it goes from pouring whipping cream like you and I might put in our coffee in the morning, right, Kara? Mm-hmm. And then it moves to whipping cream, which I would prefer to put on strawberries. And then it moves to like a creme fraiche texture, which you can save and preserve if you want to make a creme fraiche with some salmon. And then it moves into a culture, it moves into a butter. It, it breaks. Mm-hmm. And then you have the, the, the butter curds. And that's where you have a fresh butter from the cream and that's where I get the 911 calls where people are like, it didn't work. It broke. And I'm like, no, please. <laughs> the cheesecloth, which is also known as a flour sack, a 200 count flour sack or cheesecloth. And you can order them anywhere online and they're called flour sack. And 
you put the butter curds into the cheesecloth and you drain the whey out and you now have this beautiful one pound round of beautiful, elegant butter. And that's where you have the choice to salt it. Mm -hmm. And you can also add a culture to it and make a, a cultured butter by adding a creme fresh culture. And so you have a cultured butter, but it's a beautiful way to make a fresh butter. Oh, awesome. And then if we do the lazy man's version, which is you buy a nice bar of French butter, let's say. And you then- go to the grocery store, yes. You buy a, a beautiful bar of butter mm-hmm. and you bring it to room temperature. Okay. Puree it in your food processor mm-hmm. and you add in the ingredients. Like the butters I sent you, you have a Meyer lemon, mm-hmm. a berry, and a wild mushroom. Ah, okay. So my taste buds did not lie to me. I was trying to pinpoint because uh, they, they only had numbers on it or maybe I was just crazy and missed the, the titles, but I was like, no, they only have numbers. You were totally on point. Okay, good. So I was like, I think this is cherry. Cause, and I, I was very excited when I had, saw that in your book because I, I noticed you mentioned that it goes well with for winemakers and red wine. So that I was very excited to see that one was uh, one of the samples you sent to me. So that was cool. Um, yes, so if I'm going to make a butter, if I take a one-pound block of French butter mm-hmm. and I bring it to room temperature, and once it's soft enough to puree, I cut it into... 16 little taste bites, if you would, right? Mm-hmm. And then I puree it in the food processor. And once it's smooth and creamy, like it's all blending around, there's no more chunks left, I add in Meyer lemon zest, Meyer lemon juice, and or if that's not accessible to you, I add in lemon olive oil. Mm. And that's what makes your beautiful Meyer lemon butter that you can enjoy. Oh, delicious. Um, okay. Now I was wondering if we put a few different butters in front of you, like, and it was a blind taste test. Could you tell the differences between the butters? Like, could you say, oh, this is like a sweet cream butter. This is a cultured butter. Um, could, could you do that? Yes. And it's really fun. And it's kind of a game on with my butter friends. Yes. I would imagine. Um, yes. Because I really think, um, for a lot of my friends, when I give them like a cultured butter, it's, it's always like they're enlightened. Don't you think? Like it's Absolutely. just another level to it. Absolutely. If you take a French cultured butter and show them that butter first, then all butters have to meet that expectation. Exactly. I, I mean, I just think it's so much fun. So when you're shopping for butter in, say, a supermarket, are there certain things you look for on the labels? Oh, for sure. I look for the fat content, the butter solids. So 80, 82, 84%. Mm-hmm. And French, of course, 82% minimum. So they're always going to rise up to the top in my purchasing based on the cream content, the butter fat solids. And I know that that's what I'm going to use to cook with. Okay. And so, and you can, oh, you can use cultured butter or a uh, higher butter fat for any kind of baking. It, it's okay. I would say so. I have been, I've been quizzing patisseries around the country and my friend, Johnny Sharon, he's a French patisserie and he, prefers French butter. He's of course French, hence his name, Johnny. Mm-hmm. And he makes croissants that he freezes and ships around the country. And he uses a hundred percent French butters, 84%. And if they don't have it, he's not making his croissants. Oh yeah. No, I would imagine. Yeah. Especially when you're making croissants, it's like the game changer is that you have like a very high quality butter, um, uh, it's, it's just one of the things to, to know the butter sheets and to know the quality of that butter sheet. If it's from France is going to be the best. So that, and, it, that's very cool. And Kara, if you ever come out to the West coast, I would take you to his laboratory at his bakery because 
he's constantly testing and tasting the different butters of Europe. Oh, really? Oh, cool. And so he is only French, only Europe, and he will use those butters. And so he'll have me come in. Come in, Shanita. Come in and taste these butters. And I taste them, and he wants to know which one is the one he should order. And they're always French butters. Oh, my goodness. I love it. I mean, uh, so I, I would love to, yeah, I'll let you know the second I'm out there. <laughs> we'll go, we'll go so well. You get a French tasting with a French chef and it's amazing. And so I've really mirrored, mirrored him in my butter making classes. So we introduce our guests starting with a French butter, an American butter and a fresh butter. But awesome. we start their palate with a French butter to let them know this is how your butter should be. Very cool. And I mean, in regards to French butter, I actually wanted to kind of, um, uh, have you ever had the chance to taste and compare the different AOP versions back to back? I was curious if you had ever done that before. I have. And, and during COVID, I was doing a lot of tasting and I would get shipments shipped to me and I would taste them and they were like my butter samples. I sent you one, two, three. Mm-hmm. And I would taste them, give my analysis and, and then email my tasting notes back without knowing what I was tasting. And it was fascinating. Ooh, it, I, I love I have, that. I have to say it was one of the very, very few perks of COVID is that I did a lot more tasting at home. And I feel like I was actually more focused because I was not at a food show. I wasn't, I wasn't entertained by someone I was with. I wasn't trying to get to another booth. I was actually in my kitchen tasting those three to five butters and enjoying them, which is how I met Laura tasting European butters. Absolutely. Yeah. The taste of, uh, taste of Europe butter of France campaign is, um, something that I'm aware of and it's a very cool campaign. They have a website online, they have an Instagram, they have a where to buy section. So if people are having a hard time finding the butters, it's really nice, um, source for education and to like help find these butters that, you know, for certain areas are, are not the easiest to get, but you know, everyone's trying to help get the word out there, which is really cool. So, um, for the listeners out there, I just thought I'd do a quick read through of the, the Please. three different AOP butters. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and, and Shauna, dive into any of these if you, if you want to mention anything. So the first one that I, I have is the Bird de Cigny, which was awarded AOP protection in 1986. Uh, one of the prime producers is the Sydney saint mer located in the northwest of France. Um, yes. Other versions of the butter sold in the U.S. from the Normandy-Brittany area are Paison Breton, Roldolf Meunier, and Présidente. Um, then the second AOP region, which I haven't had too much, uh, I haven't ha- tried it yet. I'd like to try it one day, is the Bur de Bresse, which is yeah. in the east of France, more towards the Jura area. Uh, and that was in 2014 it was awarded AOP protection. And lastly, there's the uh, Bur Charentes Poitou, which is uh, the first one in 1979. And uh, the versions of that are Echerie, Lescure, Servet-Belle, Pompli, uh, and these are located more in the central west part of France, and it tends to be more of a lighter butter, I understand, whereas the Bur de Sini is more of a heavy set butter. The Bur de Sini is like this rich, creamy that coats your tongue with cream. It's elegant and beautiful. Yes, yes. I mean, so that was one of the things you picked up, that the Bur de Sini was a heavy butter, and then Charentes yes. Poitou was uh, lighter, I take it? Yes, so the the first one was really like it coated your palate and it sat on your palate in the most elegant way. Oh, that's so cool. See, that's, I mean, I, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of Normandy butter, so I'm glad that you, you've had the chance as well. So can we say, this is, I feel like I'm leading this question, but tell me, why do you think French butter is considered better than American butters? 
Well, I think they have the history for one. And I think that most really educated consumers admire history and how they produce them over time. And I think the French butters have really made a point of, of educating our consumers, whether it's French, American, you know, Chinese, they want to share the education of the French butters and there's no one else doing that. And so I think by the time they reach the chefs and the bakers and the consumers, they have a whole program to educate you on tasting a French butter and enjoying the 80, 82, 84% butter. And there's nothing like that being done. Yeah. Yeah. And and like you said, it has that history and um, the know-how, which is just uh, when you have over a hundred years of butter making, (laughs) it kind of works out, I think. Um, okay, Shauna, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, everyone, you're listening to Cutting the Curd. I have Shauna Davis on the show. I'm Kara Warren, and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese... The tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren. I have Shauna Davis on the show, expert buttermonger, uh, buttermaker, cheesemaker, lady of all butter in the U.S. Uh, she's, she's kind of explaining to us the breakdowns in the different milks, the different fats, how to use, how to take care of your butter, because um, we should not overlook butter. <laughs> um, no. Right? <laughs> I have to say, I want to give credit to during COVID, my daughter and I wrote this book, and my daughter is now 30, and she's a cheesemaker, butter maker by osmosis, if you would. So because she grew up with it, she knows how to make butter. She knows how to make cheese. She can teach butter classes, cheese classes. But when I said, hey, Karina, how about we write a book? And so it was the most really warm, enchanting. Every Sunday morning, we would get on Zoom and write this book, and we would each make butter compound compound recipes and talk about a friendship between a mother and daughter. And I think it may be one of the first mother daughter books out and especially about butter. So I just want to point that out that we are a woman owned business and it's my daughter and I, and we're already working on our second book. Oh, excellent. See, I was going to ask you about that, what it was like to work with your daughter. It sounds like it was a good experience. Was there any pushback on any recipes ever that you were both like, ah, no, I don't know. There was a couple that we would play with and we weren't sure. Like I was hesitant at first with the Girl Scout cookie butters, Mm -hmm. but my little Girl Scout Elise is adorable and her dad is a winemaker. And so we made Girl Scout cookies and paired them with wines and it took off. And so that was really fun. And my daughter being part Chinese, she really wanted to go down the unami route, mushrooms and chili crisp. and, And so we were kind of a good combo in the sense of we each had a different palette of how we wanted to write the book. 
Absolutely. So absolutely. So there were some expected, unexpected flavors. Um, you're saying like the miso one was like a little bit different. And, um, uh, I mean, I saw the ones that I liked at least the wild mushroom and dried chanterelle looking, uh, butter recipe. I thought that was very cool. That is number three for you. Yes, yes, yes. And then I also noticed uh, crispy prosciutto butter seems to be a fan favorite. Um, I'd like to try yes. to make that one day. Um, how did that come about? That came about at the end of a catering job. And it really is truly with humor catering. And if you've ever worked in a kitchen, you slop everything into a bowl to take home. Mm-hmm. And it had slices of, of prosciutto, which we had got and baked in the oven. So it was crispy like bacon. And we had the butter from the table and we put it in a bowl and my daughter and I at the same time were like, crispy butter prosciutto? That sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we went home and we didn't use that butter and prosciutto. We went home, crisp more prosciutto that night, like late at night, made butter and mixed it together. And it was amazing. Oof, yeah. Sounds really good. Um, I'm excited to try it one day. <laughs> um, you do, and please let me know how you enjoy it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, now uh, I wanted to bring up an idea and, and you can just tell me it's a crazy one if you want. But um, uh, in the U.S., you know, um, the legalization of cannabis has happened in some states. And I was curious, you know, because you're in California, has there been a chance for you to experiment with any cannabis butters? Is that interesting to you? Um, what, how does that work in your buttermonger world? So yes, I have done several consulting on making butters for cannabis companies and two of my butters, I've signed a confidentiality contract, so I can't say where, Mm -hmm. but I've created four butters for two different cannabis companies to sell in their retail spots. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And I guess more to the extent of, uh, of course, don't talk about which companies they are, but more like in terms of working with cannabis and butter, um, it, it like, and is French butter a better one? I know that's a funny, funny question, but I really don't know how to make a cannabis butter. And I have had friends who have tried to make cannabis butters. And I, I think there's some trickiness to this because like you don't want to cook the cannabis too much when you blend. I don't know. What, what are your words of wisdom on this? So uh, with humor, if I may share with you, Kara, so growing up as a hippie kid of West Coast, California, my dad made all of the pot butters and they were terrible. Right. So, so now <laughs> we're working on cannabis butters for chefs that actually grow the cannabis and we make a flavored butter for them that they have a dish in mind how they're going to serve it. And anyone that says they're not going to be part of the cannabis business is missing the boat because that's a huge part of the West Coast productivity and economics, but also their consumer base. They want to learn. They want to make butters. They want to know what to do. They want to learn how to make butters and flavor them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a strength uh, for any of the food communities to look at that aspect. And, um, you know, butter is an easy one, especially with that, um, I think. But I'm glad that you're you're able to consult about it. Um, and that's exciting. I look forward to um, any uh, cool recipe ideas or ideas you have in the future about that. Uh, well, I'm actually- always glad to share recipes with our guests. They can look at our at our website, buttermonger.com. Oh, great. And you'll see some recipes at tasteeurope.com. And of course, they're always able to reach out to me to the Epicurean Connection in Sonoma. And I will be in New York in the late summer doing some butter classes. So stay tuned when I'm in your region, Kara, and I hope that you'll be my guest. Absolutely. I'd love to. Yes. Yes. That would be great. 
it's been an honor to be on your show and and thank you for providing all the AOP and AOC butter information because that is really important for people to understand. And as a chef going all the way back to my teenage years with MFK Fisher and my granddad was a chef and he loved French butters and they would, they would wait at bay for French butters during the depression, during the depression era. So they could have butters. And even after then, anytime they got French butter, it was like a partay to them. Oh yes. Luxury. I, I love that. Um, that's a very good point, actually. Um, I wanted to ask you um, now that the book the book is published, and and where can people yes. find it? They can buy it on buttermonger.com, on amazon.com, and ebay.com. Okay, great. And I know you just mentioned a few of the things you have coming up this year, but is there any other um, food shows or conferences that people should look out for you at? Um, definitely at the American Cheese Society in July, and then I'll be doing a Wisconsin tour where I'll be at Car Valley Different Cheese Plants. And then look for me at the Natural Expo East, which will be in East Coast. We don't know where yet. Mm -hmm. So you'll find me all over the board. And I look forward to being making butter. And like when I come to Wisconsin, I'll ship all my equipment out and I'll make butter and share. And when I come to New York, I cannot wait. There's so many great cheese shops, butcher shops, butter shops that I can't wait to share with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's great. Um, Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Shauna, for coming on the show today. This was great. Carrie, you're a pleasure and enjoy the book and make some butters. And please, all of our listeners, please enjoy some butter. Awesome. Okay, great. Um, I'm going to give a few details on where they can find more info about you, Shauna. So thank you again. Uh, So please follow Shauna on Instagram at uh, Shauna Davis. So it's going to be spelled S-H-E-A-N-A Davis. Or you can go to her website at buttermonger.com. For more information about the French butters we discussed today, please visit it on Instagram at Taste Europe Butter of France. And check out the where to buy section, of course. You got to eat these butters. They're so good. And then yes. also, you can follow us at Cutting the Curd and myself at Kara Warren. And please listen and subscribe to Cutting the Curd via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, thank you and eat more cheese. Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.